chapter 2. We've made it to the second chapter. Our text will read in a moment will be verses 1 through 3. I want to welcome every single one of you to Big Woods Bible Church. Some of you, it's your very first time. A special welcome to you. We have an opportunity in all of the busyness and the craziness and, and even individually, some of our lives just seem to be in perpetual storm to consider a, an important subject for us this morning. That God is a God of rest, a God of settledness, and a God of peace. And that's exactly what he desires for every single one of us. My, my goal this morning is, is single, that as we glorify God, you would get an understanding or perhaps a glimpse of God like never before. You, you, you see a, a portion of how he works and how he works on our behalf out of his sheer love for us. We get a, a, a greater appreciation for our creator. It was a delight in absolute um, encouraging time of rest for me this past weekend at the men's retreat and I was so uh, blessed to have zero responsibility just sit there and, and to be fed and to be blessed by the singing by the preaching um, I, I am a horrible like outside guy camper guy building fire guy uh, I just want to say thank you to um, Cliff Kinden, he offered me like an Arctic sleeping bag, which apparently I didn't have one that would be warm enough, and Don Hauser for loaning me his toothpaste. Like, I just, I just constantly need help wherever I go, and so I'm so thankful for that. But, you know, far more important than, than that are the decisions, the confessions that were made, and the the time, the marked time for men to be godly men. And we need those moments. And, and a lot of times we think of a retreat as like a high moment. And whew, but we really consider that as a starting point. And so my prayer this morning is that the work that was accomplished this weekend in the hearts and the minds of men would continue on. So what I'm going to ask this morning is that if you were there as a man this, this weekend, that you would stand and remain standing just for a moment. And I want to I pray for you as husbands and fathers, as, as young men. I believe our ages were 14 to 81. It's quite a span. As we go to the Word together, would you bow your heads and pray with me? And I want to ask a continued extra measure of blessing upon these men. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as your children. We, we delight in who you are. We delight for your word that is open before us. And you have given to us an opportunity to, to see and to understand, to learn more about who you are. Father, we, we give you praise for being a God who is at work in the hearts and lives, and the families of many. And Lord, I, I pray right now specifically for these men that are standing here, ones that have, have been under the preaching of the word. 
men that have prayed together and lifted their voices in song, men that have made confession to one another, men that have made decisions to put away and to cut out sin from their lives. God, we plead with you that that work that was started yesterday and and Friday evening would continue on. Father, I, I pray that you would watch over this church. We are so blessed to have one another in this journey. I pray, Lord, for protection over the minds. I pray, Lord, that you would guard men's eyes. They'd be lovers of you first. That they would, that they would sacrificially love their, their wives as, as Christ loved the church. That they would raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They would not provoke children to wrath. Lord, we, we confess and we admit that we cannot do this. We cannot do this alone. We, we need one another, but most of all, we need you. And we thank you for the hope that is given to us through the promise and the work of our risen Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he loved us enough to, to take the burden of our own sin and forgive us. And we, we stand now in your forgiveness, pleading that you would allow us to be faithful men of God, a faithful church together. Please help me this morning to speak the words that only that, that, that only you would be pleased with. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Gentlemen, you may be seated. Hey, second month of the year made it to the second chapter. Huh? Lord willing, we've learned the importance of what we're doing is learning to take God at his word. We've seen the value of interpreting Scripture with a clear view, all of Scripture. How do we see God first? What is the text telling us about Him, which prepares us? If you talked, if you remember at all what we talked about last week, accepting a literal creation allows us to continue on consistently to what? Accept a literal flood, a literal virgin birth. A literal resurrection, ascension, a literal second return of Christ. Th think about this. We are here today together. We serve and we worship and we love and we have faith in a God of miracles. A God that is bigger than us. Our very redemption is a miracle. All of this, as we look at Scripture this way, leads to what I call a high view of God and a high view of Scripture, a high view of the Word of God, or what I call big God theology. That's what you'll hear at Big Woods. If you remember, and kind of going back a little bit, the first three days of the creation narrative are the forming of the earth. The second three days of creation are the filling of of the earth. Then it is all capped off with what? The creation of mankind. That means just one, what? Unlike anything else that God had created, one was made to reflect the image of God, the very likeness of God. This left creation lacking nothing. Nothing. So by the time that we get now to the seventh day, 
we continue to read, we continue to interpret with the tools that have been given to us. And it's always like this. What is this text telling us about God? Genesis chapter 2, the words will be in front of you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, verses 1 through 3. Here it is, the word of the Lord. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. The word of the Lord. What is this telling us about God? It's kind of repeated here. God finished his work and God rested from his work. 16th century scholar and printer, his name was Stephanus, was the one who actually introduced for us the, 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 the numbers for our chapters and our verses. The system of division that we have that we use in the Bible today. Now, if I were to quote R. Kent Hughes from his commentary on Genesis, it's called Beginning and Blessing, he says this, and I quote about Stephanus and these chapter divisions, these verse divisions. Hughes says this, Stephanus simply blew it. He should have seen this because chapter 2, verse 1 is an echo of chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, end quote. It's called in in inclusio. It it completes something. It concludes something. Now what's interesting is this, and I had to chuckle this week, that tradition has it that Stephanus actually made these divisions while he was riding on horseback through the French countryside. And so Hughes, what reminds us, we probably should go a little bit easy on him. You ever read scripture and you're like, like, why there? You ever have some questions about that? So think of it, remember this. Chapter numbers, verse numbers are not inspired. Just think about it. The guy's got a sore back. He's been on a horse forever. His legs are sore. He's doing the best that he can. So regardless of where it exists in our text. I think it's far more important. What are we doing this morning? What is this text telling us about God? Did God need to rest? I'm guessing that you have already picked up on the majestic nature of God's sovereignty. He is what? Unending in knowledge. He is unlimited in power that has been on full display. He is, when we've used this phrase in, in parentheses, he is beyond comprehension. So, so think about it. If he has the ability and the might and the means to speak everything into existence from nothing, I don't think he's got to like step out here for a smoke break, okay? He doesn't need recess. He doesn't need a day off. He's not like worn and exhausted. It has been some kind of week. No, it's not that. 
something, something is much, much bigger at play here. I want us to notice some key things about these verses that are unique from the other verses that we have read. I, I think it helps us understand what God is trying to teach us. The seventh day does not conclude with the usual repeated refrain, evening and morning. Every other day does. Notice as well that the, the seventh day was the only day that it says what? It was to be blessed and it was to be made holy. Notice as well that the seventh day stands outside the paired days of creation. There's, there's no corresponding day. If you remember what? Formed in, in, in day one, filled on day four. Verse, uh, day two and day five. Day three and day six. It stands alone. I've, I've read that the seventh day stands apart in solidary grandeur as the crown to the six days of creation. So now, seeing these things, knowing that God does not need the rest, what is he communicating about himself? The word rest in Hebrew actually translates to cease from. To cease from. Since creation was totally complete, God simply what? Ceased from. He simply stopped his creative activity. And it was an intentional time, in a sense, to step back for what? For enjoyment, for pleasure, for a deep sense of satisfaction. You ever, you ever done that before? You ever finish a job? You ever work hard on a job? You paint the porch. And, 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 and you, you, you mow the lawn and the lines are straight. And you just kind of step back. You build a little birdhouse. And you're just like amazed. Like wow, like they're going in there. And you just kind of like bask in it. And there's something about this joyous satisfaction that's good we can like god enjoy the fruits of our labor but please please know for god it was not a day nor was it ever intended to be a day of nothingness you realize and and, and someone's little child over here got it you, you, you realize god never takes a day off entirely God still worked. He, he ceased from his creative, but he, want, he continues to sustain. And he protects us and governs us and provides for us. If God did not work, everything would totally dissolve. That is exactly what Jesus Christ said when people were upset that he healed a crippled man on the Sabbath. In John chapter 5, verse 17, my father is working until now, and I am working. You go to the rest of scriptures, and it clearly affirms this. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17, in him all things hold together. Acts chapter 17 and verse 28. For in him we live and move and exist. In him, what? Just as we were reminded. 
every heartbeat, every breath of our lungs is sustained. But just as his working is on our behalf, the establishing a time of joyous rest extends to us as well. And I think we see this pretty quickly. If you were to continue on in the, in, in the, the Genesis narrative, eventually with Adam and Eve. Who, if you recall, we don't, know, we don't know how much of a time existed between the creation of Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind. But it, it seems to be a brief state of innocence before the fall. And, and it was clear that they had enjoyed a time of, of blessing and of peace and of communing with their creator. Have you ever noticed what was lost in the fall? Well, there's words and phrases pre-fall that are totally different from post-fall. We, we hear these words like this, that we are to have dominion over. That we are to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. God says, I have given you everything. He steps back and he says, behold, it was very good. There's still work here to subdue and have dominion, and it's good. And then what happens after the fall? There's a there's a tonal change. And those words are replaced with words like this. That there's pain in childbirth. Cursed is the ground because of you. And, and we hear words, we're introduced to words for the first time. Like thorns, thistles. By, by the sweat of your face. To dust you shall return. And what? Work the ground. Work the ground. Because from which he was taken. You understand that work, okay, was not the result of the fall. The toil of work was the result of the fall. Now, although this initial rest, this brief, this, 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 fleeting time of pleasure and satisfaction and enjoyment was lost because of the fall. You can be assured of this. And this is the hope that we have. It will be fully restored. And we look forward to that. Fully restored once again through redemption and its full consummation. This is described for us with what awaits us in Revelation chapter 21 as John writes and describes. He says this, just think of this. In the toil of our work, this is what we hold on to. This is what we wake up for. This is what we look forward to. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Just think of this promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death. Death shall, shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. 
because the former things have passed away. You understand, this, this is the beauty of the gospel, where, where the brokenness is made new, where the worn out are refreshed. You, you realize right now, wherever you are at, whether or not you have, you have never taken that first step, you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you have done that years ago, at some level, the, what, the toils of this world wear on us. And apart from the hope of what is to come, we are in a most, most desperate place. You see, that's, that's the beauty of, of saying, I, I, I know that God is, has created me and, and formed me, knit me together in my mother's womb. But, but I know that what? It's, it's easy to veer away, to veer from God. And what? We have all experienced the, the, the pain and the hardship, the proverbial thorns and thistles of this world. And yes, we were already reminded this morning of what, what God offers to us. He loves us enough to offer you what? A rest. And it's not just a, a rest with, oh, oh no, oh no, we know what's coming. It's not just as brief, it's in eternal rest. What's made whole, redeemed. In a perfect world. And we have the hope of the gospel through the, the death and the sacrificial payment. Jesus Christ offered for our sin, for your sin and mine on the cross. And the fact that what, as he was buried, he did not stay dead, but he rose again. And it's our, it's our faith in that death, burial, and resurrection that offers us a means, even in the midst of a world that is totally exasperating and exhausting. And we get glimpses of that. But we know, until then, until that time, I think there's, in God's grace for us, in his mercy for us. We get these like little glimpses, little tiny glimpses. 80 plus men just standing and, and singing as loud as they can. We get little glimpses of what it's going to be like as we get to, to gather together and know that we're not alone. We get glimpses and reminders. And yes, God in his grace gives to us what little, little breaks a little tiny breath of fresh air, a time to rest, a time to see God, a time to worship God, a time to hear from God, a time to get a glimpse of what is to come. We get glimpses of it, but what? Until that time, Monday, and more work until we die is coming. You do understand that. Therefore, we must, we must, we must keep certain things in mind as we consider this one day unique from the rest. First, see this, this day of rest as a gift for us. It's, it's, in a sense, it's a pattern. It's a template, a scribe of sorts that was established in perfect creation before it actually became mandated as law in Exodus chapter 20. If you remember the fourth 
of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So this is what? This is for his glory. But do you realize this? It's also for our good. God loves us enough to give us one day out of seven to rest. Scottish philosopher and humanist David Hume, who wrote the treatise of human nature, was an outspoken, seething atheist who, who sought to simply write God out of any structure, out of any order, particularly in the mid-18th century Enlightenment period. Since, since everyone knew that it was God in the book of Genesis that instituted the work six days and rest the seventh, Hume, along with others, attempted to influence a foregoing. We don't need this day of rest to prove that God and his order were not necessary. You know what happened? It's recorded in the history books, and I love this. I remember this when I was teaching history years ago. It was recorded, quote, and it wasn't too long of a period of time. We don't need God. We can, we can work seven days a week. Some of you say that even now. And it was recorded forever in our history books. Quote, that both man and beast fell in the field. You, you can't write God out. You can't just like do it apart, like I, I, want, I want to do this how I want to do it. I don't need that. No, no, no. These are why moments like this are important. Yes, there is to be a time of physical rest, but we have what? Uniquely been created in the Imago Dei. We are to reflect the very likeness. We are to reflect the very image of God. The holiness that God displays, guess what? We are to display that. The words that, that God uses, that God speaks, they're the words that we're supposed to speak. The love and the mercy and the kindness and the goodness that God reveals to us, we're to reveal that to others. Thus, when God worked, we're to work. And when God rested, we are to rest as well. But I would suggest that there's still a lot more here than just a day to do nothing. I believe in this, in this time, in this day, there is to be a spiritual rest. So it's not just a physical rest, so man and beast don't fall in the field. But there's something bigger here. A day of spiritual rest that points us and reminds us. And it is very clear that just as God has designed this day, you and I need to remember and know two things. Point one, that's quite the introduction, isn't it? It will go, don't worry. We have to remember and know that God blessed the day of rest and made it holy. God blessed the day of rest and made it holy. <clears throat> Matthew Henry says this, and I quote, the, the Sabbath is a sacred and divine institution. But we must receive and embrace it as a privilege and a benefit, not as a task and drudgery. 
First, God did not design it to be an imposition, to be a burden upon us. Therefore, we must not make it so ourselves. Second, God did design it to be an advantage to us. End quote. Henry's saying what? This is God's design that is a blessing. Do you hear that? Do you get that? On this day, set aside by God for rest and for worship is a blessing, not a burden. And the greatest blessing is knowing what? Just as Pastor Aaron read from Hebrews chapter 4, it speaks of the Sabbath rest as Christ's atonement. He's the one who ultimately fulfilled the Sabbath. Verses 9 to 10, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There's just something that's like, ah, I can breathe a sigh of relief on that. Verse 14 of Hebrews 4 continues, we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast, hold tight. Our confession. So you understand what's happening here is that this is beginning to kind of point us. It's beginning to move us, to steer us to one. Augustine said what? Our hearts are restless till they find the rest in thee. Isn't that interesting? With people today who are searching and searching and they're trying everything. More exercise. And they're still not happy. Buy more junk and toys and clothes. And they're still not happy. Maybe, maybe work more and work our way up. And there's, there's, still not, there's still not a sense of peace. There's still not a sense of, of contentment. There's, there's no settledness. They're barking up the wrong tree. There's rest that comes in one. Augustine knew what? Apart from Christ, there is no rest. Some of you who are totally exhausted, literally, I hear from you. I see it in your eyes. You, you dread tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off. I can't handle much more. It's getting pretty thin. You, you, you're, you're searching for rest and peace and contentment. In the wrong place. Christ says, come to me. All who are weary. And I will give you rest. So, so now, not, not under law. We're not under the law. What, what do we do? We worship on the day. We celebrate the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the first day of the week, Sunday. And I think it's important to note here, we mark it not by what does not happen, but we mark this day by what does happen. What do we do? How, how do we start our day, Lord willing, on the Lord's day, on this day of rest, ultimately is to worship? Do, do, you, do you do this? You see that the Sabbath day means a day of, of action, of act of worship, not inaction. Finally, just a day to kick up and do nothing. No, you're missing it. It's not an excuse 
for, for complete idleness. It's not an excuse. This is not to be a day of nothingness. It's not to be a day of laziness. This is God's design for it to be a day of purposeful rest. Yes, at some level, just like what the Israelites were instructed in Exodus chapter 16, collect manna for six days, but not on the seventh. Let me ask you, what, as you examine, I hope, I hope like you're here for purpose, as you examine the course of your week and you look at your schedule, do, do, you, do you do that? Do you have a time set apart to, to come away, to, to, to rest, to be recharged, to be refreshed? And this is not to be a, a tedious burden. This is something that we cherish. We are to, to protect this. Like, no, I'm, I'm not available at this time. Why? Because I need this. This is what God instructed for my heart and for my soul. It's good. Second, we need to see this day as a means of grace that is given to us. Our hearts are exhausted. Our minds are exhausted. Our bodies are tired. And what do we need? We need this necessary worship. Why? Because you will not automatically tend toward or lean into God. Matt McDermott was preaching yesterday in his John the Baptist thunderous voice and his hair is like totally wild and crazy. I love the man. And he said this, and I quote, you will never drift toward holiness. It's never just going to happen. Like all of a sudden you become more like, no, it takes work. It takes time to, to, to set apart from the rest. Time to, to read and to pray, to listen. What is it that God is telling? To learn what he has for us and, and, and his, he's revealing himself to us. And what is our response? We sing to that and we worship him because of it. We fellowship together, together. I've said it, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. You get weird when you're by yourself. You really do. I don't know how, there's no polite way to say that. People separate. Do they get weird? But I tell you what, they're in a dangerous place. Watch, watch, watch the way a wolf hunts the pack. Watch the way the predator goes after the, the prey. When, when one is separated, that's where there's trouble. Do, do, do you personally remember the Sabbath? Keep it holy. As God has intended it to be remembered and to be recognized and observed. Not, not only do we protect this day, but I, I would say that we have to get into the, to the habit of practicing something here. Couple helpful reminders. I, I love this. And, and, and I, I think this goes for all of us. I think particularly of some of the younger families where it's kind of the craziness, like, whoa, we're looking for another shoe. And what's that on your face? Um, let me give you a couple helpful reminders as we, as we remember this day. Preparation is key. Preparation is key. It's, it's preparing, not, not just of our, 
of our bodies, but our hearts to receive this, to hear this, to receive the word. I like the counsel of the, the Puritan Richard Baxter. He says this. He, he talks about Saturday night. And he says, go seasonably to bed that you may not sleep on the Lord's day. Those of you that are drifting at this very moment. Go seasonably to bed. You, you got to begin to think about preparing for this moment. And you don't just kind of like crash in here last minute like, whoa, we're here. No. How, how are you settled to hear and to receive? This is God's design for us. Not only is preparation key, public worship is necessary. A key component to what gathering, the focus of all of our attention, is that it happens together. Remember, remember that weird season? Yeah, you remember it. Late spring 2020. And we were supposedly to like separate and everyone stayed home in their, in their pajamas. And you turn on a computer screen. That is like horrible. It was like the worst season of my life. I would come here. I'd shine my shoes on Saturday night. I'd do the same thing. And I'd sit into an empty place. And Wendy would be here and the sound guy. Just aching and longing. We've got to be together. And if anything, if, if anything came out of that season, I think one thing we would, we would recognize and we would probably without any hesitation, say, we will never do that again. Thirdly, there, there's, there's also pitfalls here that have to be avoided. Pitfalls of legalism. Remember, the Sabbath rest is not about stealing joy. Okay, remember the Pharisees? Like, how dare you help somebody else out? Pharisees were joy robbers. It's about enjoying joy. Which means what? Don't let your own personal preference dictate. This is what I do on Sunday in order to rest. That's, that's what everyone must do. I know what we must do. We must be here together to worship. But if some of you are nappers on a Sunday afternoon, wonderful. Praise God for that. I was chatting with a man just this week and he said, Pastor Timmy, I have to be honest. He, he said, you know, what, you know what I do to rest? He goes, I love to stack wood. And he goes, and I'll, I'll move a pile of wood from, I'll move it here to here because it's, it's fun for him. It's relaxing for him. It's exercise for him. Wonderful. Don't ask me to help you. We have to, we have to avoid the pitfalls of legalism. You have to understand here what's happening. The holiness of God matters. He has set this day apart. Blessed it. This is a holy day. Work hard to keep it holy. Just as his name and his word is unlike any other, his day is to be unlike any other. And what happens is that it draws the attention off of ourselves and it places it on him where it needs to be. Number one, God blessed the day of rest and made it holy. Secondly, in closing, God taught us to celebrate his creation taught us to celebrate our salvation. This is what we do here. We celebrate his creation and our salvation. 
You, you, you do realize by regularly getting into a pattern of working six days and resting the seventh actually creates something like God knew what he was doing here, okay? A healthy rhythm for us of work and joyful rest. Yet if you look around us, particularly in our society today, it's pretty evident, okay, something's, like, something broke. Something is not right out there. You, do you realize this, and, and you're kind of listening, we have to understand our society and our culture, the context that we're living in, ministry. Do you realize one of the greatest contributing factors to people not resting on the seventh day? One of the greatest contributing factors of why people are not resting on the seventh day is because they're not working on the six days prior to it. Nicholas Everstadt, November the 2nd, just of this past year, 2022, wrote in the New York Post, and he described a, a disturbing trend. Listen to this. America's post-pandemic employment picture is an unsettling paradox. Overall work rates are lower than they have been since the 1980s. And millions of workers who dropped out of the labor force during the COVID lockdowns have yet to return. A peacetime labor shortage has erupted, yet vast numbers of men and women are still settling, sitting on the sidelines of the economy. He writes, America is renowned for its, worth for its work ethic, and rightly so. The average worker in the United States clocks more hours each year than those in Canada, Australia, Western Europe, and now even Japan. But those are the work patterns of U.S. men and women who are holding down a job. A flight from work in modern America is simultaneously afoot. It first became evident among men in their prime of life between 25 and 54. Today, listen to this, over 7 million of these men of prime working age are neither working nor looking for work. Now in the wake of the COVID calamity, the men without work syndrome seems to be spreading, afflicting parts of the U.S. workforce that did not suffer from it before the pandemic. You understand what's happening here? You understand why people are so purposeless in our world, in our, in our society? You understand why people are so depressed in our society, you understand why people are so worshipless? You understand why people in our society are so godless? Why would you pause to rest and to worship if you've been on pause all week long? Why? God created us for more than that. You understand that? Scripture is filled. I had, I just, I had lists. Of scripture verses. I, I cannot take the time to read them all. Listen to this. God created us to celebrate him. God created us to celebrate what he has done. Deuteronomy chapter 5. What the reminder was. Don't, don't forget. Don't forget you Jewish. Remember that you were slaves. Remember from where you came from. 
and you thank the Lord every single day. That's what we are to do. Psalm chapter 68, verse 3, but let the righteous be glad. Let them exult before God. Yes, let them rejoice with gladness. Do you realize that we were once dead in our sins, but God being rich in mercy? Do, do you celebrate that? Do you bask in that? Do you work hard all week long so you can step away and just enjoy, soak in the presence of God? Psalm 95 says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Some of you here this morning cannot move your lips in thanksgiving. Some of you do not move and lift your voices up in song because you've not trusted the one because you're not presently trusting the one to offer you thus what you celebrate. Th think, think of this. Before God created you, you were dust. And we know what? To dust you shall return. But God, in his, in his sovereign grace, he he formed us and he blew the breath of life into us. And even when we still sin, God still loves us. God does not give up on us. He still lavishes. He still longs for us so much that he offered his own son to die in our place. Therefore, may we understand the importance of living every single moment. Every single moment. You get the same amount of hours that I do every single week. We never get them back. And it's moments like this where we step back and we are reminded like, whoa, this is like big stuff. Every single moment. We work for his glory. We rest for his glory. We play to his glory. We worship for his glory. May it all be about him. Father, we love you. We confess and admit that we, we just don't have it ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts even now as we lift our voices in praise to you. That we would once again be grateful for, for your amazing sovereign grace. That you loved us enough to offer your son so that it's in him and only him that we can have true rest.